from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello and welcome to Talking Catholic, the official podcast for the Camden Diocese. This is Mary McCusker, Marketing and Communications Coordinator for Catholic Charities, and I am here today with Mike Walsh. Normally, I would ask how you're doing, but... Um, you spent most of today with me, so you don't need to ask that question? Yeah, and okay. I already know that you're in a very grouchy mood <laughs> because you came into my office here in Catholic Charities and just started um, ripping on all my coworkers, <laughs> no, and you put us all in a grumpy mood, no, so no. I won't ask how you are. <laughs> that is... Okay, none of that story is correct. Uh, I love all of the staff at Catholic Charity. Something mm-hmm. that if you go back and listen to previous podcasts, I just sh- nothing but praise and, and joy is brought to me by walking through the doors here at Catholic Charities. I love your boss. I love uh, Mr. Kevin Hickey. And let's see, we ran into former guests Jose Sanchez and Sam Astley and uh, Louisa. Louisa. Madrano. Louisa Madrano. She's going to kill me because I couldn't remember her last name. And Rose Porcellini. And I met this new woman by the name of Irma. So she was very nice, who's in charge of uh, St. Vincent de Paul Societies in South Jersey. So, no. Are you and kidding? all of those people would tell you, yeah, this random guy came in and just started <laughs> making fun of everyone. Okay. That's, as we've established many times before, that's how I show my affection. Is uh, And right before this podcast uh, started, Mike said, you know, don't sound too much like somebody from NPR. Okay. And then we began recording, so I hope that my intro was peppy <laughs> enough for our listeners. I don't know why you're denigrating NPR on the air, but that's, that's hey, fine. Hey, I love I NPR. I know you do, but um, it's, uh, I was commenting on sometimes, ever since we've changed hosts, you know, like six months ago, some all my new hosts seem to have this predilection to opening with this sort of very sort of breathy welcome to whatever. And I'm like, see, I always kind of want to come out like gangbusters and just, you know, just start like, well, well then you do the intros from now on, Mike. How does that sound? Because I I like having the three of you doing the intros. It makes me happy. So as long as you're happy, thank Please spread that around. So thank you very much. Well, Mary, you and I have actually spent quite a bit of time together already today. Uh, We had our communications meeting this morning, and then uh, we had a birthday party at the... for the a number of staff members of the Catholic Star Herald and the communications department of the Diocese of Camden, which was nice. We uh, we had a little group party for them. So I and should Mike be... kind of sat and sulked in the corner. And when I asked him, are you OK? He said, yeah, I just I'm not a big fan of birthday parties. I'm like, OK, just rain on everyone's no. parade. <laughs> Jeez, I'm really getting abused in this this edition. Yeah, I actually am starting to feel kind of bad. The um, no, it's not that. It's just yeah. As I was explaining to some of our colleagues, I am not a small talk kind of guy. I am a. I'm very in the sense of uh, small talk is necessary. I don't I get why that. people say that. Well, I'm just not very good at it. That's all. I oh no. I trust me. I love it when it, I love being with people who can just chit chat with folks because uh, I have no 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 ability in that regard it's like i i'm always so centered on there's a job that needs to be done let me get the job done move on to the next job i'm never good with just sort of you know communicating with people as the director of communications (laughs) got it i have a different kind of now i'm feeling punchy see you rubbed off on me (laughs) well you know why it's because we're hopped up on birthday cake that's that's That's, it could be the sugar high hopefully we crash before this is over (laughs) that's exactly what i was gonna say however for for the last three minutes of uh, me being abused, um, 
we actually have a, a guest we've been wanting to have on for for a while. Actually, we've attempted to have her on many many times, and schedules would just never permit. I think she, I actually threw her under the bus the last time we recorded the I podcast. I think that's a distinct possibility. But she has been uh, she has been quoted often in the Catholic Star Herald, our newspaper, and uh, and and she's lot. grimacing right now because she does not like any type of uh, praise or. Um, attention or anything which is another characteristic of all the catholic charities people we work right. with it's They're always like twisting humble. arms i, I know. know i know i know so who's but with us we today? are with um cindy lebron welcome cindy thank you <laughs> and um cindy can you give us a uh, your title <laughs> And what it is you do for the Catholic Church? Yeah. Okay, because she a does lot. so much. I <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I um, I oversee our housing program. So my title is director of housing stability programs, um, and that covers all of our six counties. Um, so we have many different programs under the housing. Uh, under the housing program so anywhere from a program that's going to help someone who just has has uh, something happen out of their control maybe their car broke down so now they're in danger of losing their permanent housing we have programs where people can come into the office and and get assistance with that and then they're they're good um, it stops them from becoming homeless um, or we have someone who, or a household who is homeless, and they come in, and all they need is a security deposit um, to lift them up into housing, um, and we can do that as well. And then we have larger programs that provide a lot of case management, uh, and they can assist a family and household um, into stabilization in a period of up to 12 years, uh, 12 months, not years. <laughs> I wish 12 years. Yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, there's many different things that we do in the housing yeah. um, portion. And so I've seen Cindy, you know, like she just said, work with very vulnerable populations, um, homeless populations. And Cindy's one of those people, to our listeners, you know, how there's that one person in the office who... Like you could run into their office and be on fire and like, you know, they'll just put it out and no matter how hectic or crazy things are, there's that person you go to who you know will just be calm and put the fire out calmly and, you know. Those people are called goats. What are they called? (laughs) Well, those people are called goats. Apparently Goats. goats when when uh, some farm animals are particularly horses are you know very high strung and going nuts you put a goat into the oh. stable and it calms everybody down you sounds like a Mike fact but well actually you know what? it's an Aaron Hench fact oh, I remember okay. our good friend Aaron Hench who uh, helped helped us put on the convocation of Catholic leaders last year in Atlantic City she was the one that told me about that because she's considered a goat and I was like yeah. and she is she's just you know Everything could be falling apart around you, and she would walk into a room and go, "Okay, here's what we got to do. We got to yep. get it done." I that get the is, impression that, that is very is Cindy. much Cindy. Yes, <laughs> and it's the people like that. I feel it's not like they're not dealing with really urgent, important situations. It's the opposite. It's always something you know, high stakes. And with you, Cindy, it's people's lives on the line when it comes to you know finding stable housing yet you're always cool as a cucumber. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it's just something that I've done for 21 years now. So it's my passion uh, working with the homeless and 
I, there's never enough assistance, but there's always a way to help someone, yeah. whether it's with money or just, you know, listening or guidance or, you know, and, and I have a wonderful team of, you know, housing counselors and case managers who do that very thing every yeah. day as well. You know, maybe, maybe we need to talk a little bit about exactly what homelessness looks like and for our case south jersey specifically but around the state overall you know i worked at a couple of nonprofits before i got here and we did a lot of homeless uh work and it's not what people often think it is it's not and it's something that's limited to uh the urban life uh can you give an idea of what what homelessness looks like in south jersey Sure. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is most people think of someone who is homeless, who is actually out in the woods or on the street, that kind of thing. Um, Every day we see a lot of people who are in situations where they're disabled and on a fixed income. Um, The biggest problem is um, affordable housing. There's not enough affordable housing for people to to be able to afford a home. So um, that seems to be the the biggest barrier. And when they say, you know, that cliche of, you know, uh, everybody lives paycheck to paycheck, it's it's a reality. Anybody can become homeless. So it's not just one way of looking at, you know, homeless people as this is how it happened. There's so many different ways and reasons for that to happen. Um, affordable housing just keeps popping in my mind. It, it, it you know. Yeah. Getting hurt, becoming disabled. Right. Um, We're all kind of, well, I don't know about you guys. I might be just, you know, one bad medical diagnosis, one car accident, one financial crisis away from right. honestly being a client at Catholic Charities. And, that, <laughs> and that's the truth, right, Cindy? I mean, people who are affected by homelessness, they come from all backgrounds, all ages, all demographics. It's something that can hit anybody. And in Mary's case, she's someone in her 20s who's sort of in her first job. If that were to go away, not that it's going to Mary, <laughs> but if that were to go away out of Start nowhere, you know, that, you know, that might be a case where where, you know, at some point she could find herself on the streets. Yeah. She wouldn't because she has a wonderful support group, but That's some people true, don't. But some people right? don't. Absolutely. And there's some people who have no support system. Yeah. It could be someone, uh, a high school student. Yeah. Um, we've seen them, you know, working and still in high school and living in the streets or living with a teacher even. Um, there's just so many different instances and it could really, really could happen to anyone. Yeah. And I think... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, going back to sort of the demographics, you know, when we think of urban areas in South Jersey, we think of Camden and Atlantic City are probably the two most notable uh, areas for for urban living. However, I get the impression that's not where a lot of our homeless can be found at any given time. There's a lot of there's a lot of green space between those two cities. And there are a lot of homeless folks that are in very rural areas. That's very true. Um, you, it's it's amazing how uh, there's a lot of people who aren't even aware that there are homeless in their neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, and they're there. And now I think though over the years they have became more visible and people are starting to notice. But there's still areas you're right where people don't realize they are and they are there. Yeah. And there's you know there's tent cities everywhere. There's seniors. That's another. Um, that's another population that we're seeing more of is our seniors um, because of the fixed income or maybe a spouse passes away and now they can't afford it with one income. Um, there's this, 
so many things. I could talk about it probably for a year and tell you so many different avenues of how people became homeless. Right. I think when a lot of people hear homeless, they picture people sleeping on streets. And of course, those people are homeless too. But like you said, it seems like there are a lot of different situations like um, couch surfing, you know, where people aren't, do they have a roof over their heads? Yes, technically. But is it, is it stable? Is it, um, like you said, affordable? You know, I think a lot of people just kind of picture people sleeping out on the streets. But, you know, the reality is, and I know every year in the point in time count, can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's, that's recent. That just happened a couple weeks ago. Sure, but can I say something about couch surfing first? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so that's the biggest population, the largest oh, wow. population that people don't realize, I think, because think about it. If you're living with another family and you're all staying in one room and you have five children and then there's another family living in that same household, um, usually these are the cases that there's no programs that can help them because they don't fit the HUD oh. definition of homelessness. So couch surfing sometimes is not considered homeless when in reality we know it is right. it's not a you know a perfect situation and eventually that family or that person is going to get tired of you staying there so you're going to be homeless eventually yeah um so but the point in time huh? my favorite <laughs> I thing i love chatting with cindy about this <laughs> oh, yeah my, my favorite thing so a lot of people probably don't uh, I've been saying PIT. I've been P-I-T. Like, I've just been abbreviating it because I'm so used to what it is. But for the listeners who might not know what the point in time count is, can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. <laughs> so the point in time is something that happens annually. It's mandated by HUD. Um, the whole uh, 21 counties in the state of New Jersey do this. Uh, so it, there's three components. Well, what it actually is, is it's a 24-hour period where we can actually count the homeless, um, which is really just a snapshot of, you know, it's not reality, but it's, at least it's something to go by, right? So there's, uh, there's two reasons that we do it. The first reason is it's mandated by HUD, and we want to show the need in our community to be able to bring the dollars down um, to to get programs to show where people are falling through the cracks and why they're still on the streets or in tent cities and that kind of thing. Um, the second reason I love it is because it gives recognition to the homeless that we care. Um, a lot of times they think that they're forgotten and um, they're definitely not. So yeah. uh, so what we do is there's a survey um, and all year long we're thinking about this um, because we're asking for donations so we can have something, you know, to, to give them the needs, you know, that they have when they're in these tent cities or they're in the street. They might need things, something as simple as personal hygiene items, that kind of stuff. So we receive donations all year long. Um, and then um, the survey comes out. So the cat, they do it every county. The county um, is the lead. So there's we have a street team, and then we have something called Project Connects. Project Connects are actually a place. Usually, it's in like a soup kitchen, something where the homeless go to every day anyway to eat lunch. Um, so there's resources there. Um, all the agencies in the communities come together and they provide services at these Project Connects. Um, a lot of times the uh, health department is there um, to give flu shots, uh, 
test blood pressure, test for diabetes, that kinds of things. And then, um, so while they're doing that, then we have street teams. And Mary has actually yes. came out and participated a couple times. Um, and so she kind of knows what it's like. Uh, so what we do is we do the same thing. We get groups of volunteers together and they belong to other agencies. Sometimes anybody can volunteer. So sometimes it's not, they don't even you know belong to an agency. So we break up into the, the larger cities, and that's when we we hit the streets, so to speak. <laughs> and then um, we also are aware of where the tent cities are in, in each city, and we go tromping through the woods to go visit them as well. So and that's um, no exaggeration. I mean, I had I made the mistake the one year of not wearing boots. I had kind of sneakers on. She's not kidding when she says marching through the woods. I don't even remember what town we were in, Cindy. It might have been in the Bridgeton area, but we were, I mean, in the woods, woods. And I remember thinking, there's no way that people live back here. But then sure enough, we'd turn a corner and there would be tents. And sometimes people were there and sometimes not. Um, I know it, it snowed the one year, so you were out there walking through the snow you know with the with the volunteers but i didn't realize exactly how boots on the ground this point in time count was until i was part of it <laughs> yeah it's pretty heartbreaking at times yeah yeah so this year um i actually went with the violin team so we we uh we went into the to the woods and we came across one that wasn't there before and there was three of us and you know no matter how many times i do this it's you know it's truly heartbreaking to see and there was no one there but it was we, all three of us just stopped for a minute and just looked because there was you could tell that this had been there for a while and it was family oriented there was actually a handmade fence there was gates that were made out of wood pallets mm -hmm. And then um, there was decor of like plastic flowers oh and different things like that. And then um, it was very large. Um, it was like an L shape and they had tarps and actually walls. So each part looked like it was a different room, like it was a living room, a kitchen, that kind oh of thing. Goodness. And then it went around to the L shape and that's where the they actually slept. And it actually looked like a little, um, I want to say like a pop-up, uh, what do you call them things, um, trailer, trailers? Yeah, like a yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was more closed in, it had a door, you know, it looked like wow. like home, you know, they had, they actually had trash cans there that you would see out of, like in someone's, front of someone's home. Yeah. Um, everything was there, so when we left there, um, of course we left, you know, a lot of information and some things hopefully that they could use. and. Um, we left a part of our heart there. Yeah. That you know, that's the thing. That no matter how often I read Mary's stories, or from back when I was doing this, you know, 20 years ago, um, that's the thing that will always still shock me is is not just the fact that homelessness exists, but the fact that it oftentimes exists far closer than we realize to our homes. But even more impressive and sad than that is how how well people, or how quickly people become acclimated to being homeless, that they start creating the elements of what we would consider a, a normal home in here out in the woods in the middle of winter. 
you know, that's yeah. and then realizing that it's a family out there, not just, you know, a single adult. Right. Yeah. Going and then, this. you know, in right now, think about it. Everybody that has the flu, you know, they're sick and all of that. Think of being homeless with that. I yeah. mean, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. You'd had the flu not so long yeah. ago. Yeah. And I felt like I was dying. Right. So, you know, I can't imagine I, being, you know, without a home and, and right. being sick like that. And I'm, I remember one year, it, it sounds a little bit like how you described, but what got me was seeing stuffed animals there. Um, you know, there were kids here. <laughs> they were, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's like, it's just so shocking. <laughs> yeah, you, for us, just, driving down 55 or, or right, the Atlantic exactly. Expressway. Right, exactly. We drive past these places all the time. Yeah, in these wooded areas. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, behind... Um, like big grocery stores I think that's another common area because I guess people can use what's been thrown away Um, and at different times Cindy I know some municipalities have tried to clear out these these tent cities but they they kind of just reappear somewhere else right yes what normally happens and it's kind of unfortunate when they get you know moved like that because people like us who are trying to help them we have a hard time relocating them so you know um one of the things i do want to say you know one of the things that one of the homeless said to me one day when i was and i told mary this i think last year uh sometimes you see the same people because you know the reason we get all these housing programs is is this you know to house these people you know get them off the street i mean the main, you know, it's one of the necessities in life. It's our mission, right? Really, and so I saw the same person, and I was doing a survey with him. And you know, I always explain, you know, why we're there, and you know, why we're doing the survey, and you know, we're trying to, to you know, find a program that fits everybody's needs so we can end this homelessness. And he says to me. Um, and I didn't say all that to him yet. I had said, you know, right. oh, here, you know, how you doing? We're filling the paperwork out. And he says, why am I still here? Mm. And I said, well, I said, that's why we're still coming out. I said, because we haven't given up. We want, you know, you and everyone else to be off the street yeah. and to have a home. And, you know, I know homelessness tends to be, homeless is one of those topics tend, that tend to create very distinctive opinions in people. Like you'll have people like us who are very open-hearted and really see it as our duty as Catholics and as social workers that um, we need to go out there and, and be present in the community and, and, and try to help people wherever we can. But then there are other folks who, for a variety of reasons are, and I don't mean to suggest that they're hard-hearted, but that, that have a philosophy that, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of philosophy that you need to, you know, take care of yourself, move on and and do better. And it's not typically as easy as that, is it, Cindy? It is not. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that everyone is in that position. And I think those people that you are talking about just don't understand that. They've never been there, never, maybe never had any interaction with someone who was homeless and understand, you know, what you know what is the reasons i mean what could possibly be happening it's kind of like with the you know the opioid thing i mean everybody knows somebody now pretty much about that who who has a problem with that it's the same with you know i think there's a better understanding of that now so i think it's the same thing with 
you know, yeah. homelessness. And homelessness, I mean, to be fair, you know, a lot of the people who are out there, not a lot, but many of the people who are out there, there is there are addiction issues with a lot of them that, that they haven't been able to exist anywhere because they, either they ha- haven't been able to find help or they haven't been able to be consistent in the help they were receiving, and they end up, you know, back on the streets again or out in the woods. and. Very true, yeah. and that's why I love some of our programs that we have. Uh, Housing First model um, addresses that. So if someone before, you know, a lot of programs were just, you know, if you can't show us you can maintain, you have to have this, in, you know, income, this, this, this in place before you can be helped. Now it's not like that. We have some programs that are Housing First. So whatever's happening, whatever barriers you have, um, it doesn't matter. Housing comes first because how can you even – think about addressing any of those issues that you have or barriers if you don't have a place to lay your head tonight right Mm. so i'm sure in the same vein uh mental illness that has gone unaddressed Mm -hmm. um i'm sure that's a that's a barrier too yeah i'll admit i was kind of biased and i kind of had this image of um a lot of people you see on the streets and you can tell they either have a mental illness um or maybe they're on drugs. Um, I remember at one one of the point in times when I came along, there there were people there who were also completely coherent, you know. And it's just like it's just my every perception that I had of what homelessness looks like was just kind of shattered. I mean, it's really all walks of life, all walks of life, like you said, Mike. Mm-hmm. All um, demographics. All demographics. Racially, yep. you know, every the age, everything. Yeah, you know you'll find somebody out there. And it's it's amazing. It's you know uh, we're very much in the Catholic Church about you know community and, and encouraging people to to volunteer in their communities and work with people who are in distress. And one of the reasons why we do that is so that they have a clearer understanding of of who these people are. You know we're we're not in the business of preaching uh, you know who you should be voting for and and you know where your money should be going but we very much are advocates for actually going out and learning for yourself what what it's like to be a homeless person what what really does it entail for you to go from perhaps living in a typical middle-class suburban neighborhood to suddenly being on the streets and it's not always that person's fault sometimes They've just been given a bad lot in life, and we have to be there to to help them. Um, to what go are, to the peripheries, as Pope Francis as would Pope say. Francis that's would say, what, that's the, what Cindy does. That's I mean, right. she's out there. People, you guys are quite literally in the peripheries. recognize you at this point. Do you think you mean the homeless in the street? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're actually very helpful. They they have their own little community, so I don't think they really know my name. They call me many different things. Good things, though. <laughs> a good thing, uh, but. Uh, there was a, t- and you know, I don't, sometimes I'll, if something's donated, you know, I might take something out to them, um, but not always. And, you know, sometimes there's people who will not accept anything. They just, you know, uh, matter of fact, there was this one guy who I thought, you know, he didn't pay any attention. He would never talk to me, nothing, but I'd always, hey, how you doing? You know, all that stuff. And he would just say, mm, you know, nothing. Yeah. So um, it took me about, I would say, a year of seeing him and I seen him walking down the street one day when I was out there and I said how you doing you know like I always do and he said hi I was just so shocked <laughs> I didn't know what to say <laughs> yeah but inside I was like yes I finally, yeah. finally said hi to me it's a start <laughs> you know? yeah so it was great 
Wow. Yeah. And I so, know I've spoken to, I'm sorry, I don't want to cut uh, you off. <laughs> no, I was going to say sometimes like when we get a new program or something, you know, I'll go out and see, you know, who's still out there with a flyer and they'll actually, you know, spread the word and spread the flyer and post them and do all that kind of stuff. If they're like, oh, I might know somebody that, you know, that you can help that, you know, they, they help each other. Yeah, that's the great thing about that's one. That's another element that we a lot of us don't realize is it, there is a community out there. It's not a community that most of us would recognize because we we haven't lived in it. But you know, there's human nature kind of bonds people together one way or another. And if you are in particularly those ten cities, if you're in one of those ten cities, it, it creates this entire subculture mm. that kind of goes under the radar. And and they want to be under the radar, you know, mm-hmm. much to their own distress, unfortunately. But they they want to remain under the radar, and that's why they they, they feel a sense of um, individuality. You know, out there, which is I can certainly understand as someone who likes to be an individual from time to time. But, you know, they're going down a path that is not going to be fruitful for them. And it's our job to help them understand that. Well, and and sometimes I think that they're not ready right then and there. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't force someone to come into a home, right? If they're happy there for whatever reason it may be. Yeah. You just don't give up on them, you know. You still keep trying until they're ready, and eventually they usually are. Yeah. Yeah. Got to think of them as our uh, prodigal sons. That uh, yeah. we, you know, we can't we can't force them there, but when yeah. they're ready to come back, we'll right. we'll help them and we'll welcome them back with open arms and do whatever we can. And that's where Cindy and her staff, um, you know, everyone involved with housing is so good at making them aware, like we're still here. And I think you guys have earned the trust of the community, you know, and and that's. That's certainly important for them to understand. You know, going back to those points in time. So for in our area, that we have the six southern counties of New Jersey. So is each day a different county, or do you, or are they all done on the exact same day? They're all done on the exact same day. So about how many volunteers across the Diocese of Camden would you have at any given time doing, doing this? Good question. Um, usually I would have a quick answer for that, but this year because I have more staff, oh, uh, you. <laughs> there was actually more. So um, hmm. I would say we have at least we have at least four people per county in each county. Okay. Yeah. And do they just go to one town or do they go to several towns inside the county? Uh, it depends what team they're on. Okay. They could either be on a street team or they could be in a Project Connect. Um, okay. And then I didn't I didn't mention the third part yet. Oh, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's three parts. Oh. <laughs> so the third part is code blue. Okay. Um, yeah, it's that the night before and the night of uh, the point in time that's also uh, visited, and surveys are done there as well. Okay. In case anyone doesn't know what what code blue is, can you just give a a little explanation of what that is too? Yes, and right now I'm not going to remember the temperatures. However, uh, Code Blue <laughs> is a place, usually a church, where people can go when the temperature hits a certain degree so, or there's pre- precipitation. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I want to say, I'm not going to say anything because I can't think of it right now. But, <laughs> but when it gets cold, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when it gets cold, uh, it's a place to go and they can spend the night. Um, they have dinner, spend the night, and then some places they have breakfast, and then um, and then that's it. And you'll do like a bed count of how many people are there. Yeah. The um, so I know this year it's probably still being tabulated, but can you tell me what like 
what kind of numbers you came up with in previous years? For <laughs> well, I don't know. I know I'm asking a lot regarding numbers. I should know that on the top of my head. Yeah. I should. Um, well, it varies from year to year, and depending, like the one year when it was snowing, people relocate in those usual locations where you think people might be. They're not there, so it probably varies, right? Yeah, and here's what happens. So when the count is done, which is completed now, yeah. we don't get the results until probably April, May, mm-hmm. or sometimes even later. So because they're submitted to the state, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. they go through Monarch Housing. They huh. they they lead it. So I have um, I don't have any numbers from this year because I'm not allowed officially mm-hmm. to say anything. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, and last year I wouldn't have it as a you know every county. I, I've been more involved with Cumberland County myself. Um, of course, the rest of my team, you know, Catholic Charities involved in all the counties, but. Um, I usually lead the street teams in Carmelin County, so I know there's numbers better than yeah, the other yeah. ones on the top of my head. Yeah. yeah. And then in addition to the numbers, there's, you know, surveys that they fill out too, right? Yeah, those surveys is, are where we get the demographics from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and does and that numbers. help kind of, you know, figure out, okay, our services should focus on this barrier more or this issue more or this demographic does it does it help in terms of you know like tailoring services and yeah it does help when when the um, results come out like I said that it's broken down to a lot of different categories so it does show the needs in each particular county so it you know it is a big help yeah yeah and um, the results that are compiled uh, you said that helps uh, bring funding to, to these different counties, right? Absolutely. What, what kind of sources of funding do they come from? Um, state and federal. Um, okay. Department of Community Affairs. Um, a lot of HUD dollars. Yeah. And there's also county. Okay. Yeah. The um, So now you've been with Catholic Charities for how long now, Cindy? Uh, this is my 11th year. Just, just only 11 years. Okay. That's all. That's just, She's just a veteran. And, uh, you know, in your time here, have you seen things get better, get worse, kind of stay the same over those 11 years? In what regard? In, in terms of homelessness in South Jersey in particular, but also how we're treating the homeless? Well, um, I can say that it, it's been... There's more. There's more. I mean, there's more barriers happening happening every day in this world, right? I yeah. mean, and and there is more more homeless showing up. But as far as as addressing the issue, I feel like we're doing a, a lot better job yeah. than yeah than well, eleven good. years ago. Have you found? Are are we actually offering more services than we've had in the past? Absolutely. Oh, that's good to hear. So when I first started back in two thousand nine. I actually started with our HPRP2 program, which is Homelessness Prevention and Rapid Rehousing. It was a, an 18, no, at that time it was a two-year grant, and um, that was really the biggest program we had in wow. housing. Yeah. So since then, um, we received SSVF, which is our supportive services for veteran families um, in 2011, and we've had that now for nine years. Um, HBRB2, what I started with, we've had since then, and and right now we have we've been mm, this year, four counties, okay. 
and homelessness prevention grants another large one which we have in four counties Mm -hmm. Um, we have a housing counseling grant which we've had for six years now Um, i feel like i'm forgetting something Oh, our SRAP, which is a state rental assistance program. We All have, these acronyms. Yeah, so I'm making sure I... <laughs> Thanks for breaking them down, though, because I get confused sometimes when I'm looking over documents. SRAP, what is that? <laughs> I'm just happy I could remember that. <laughs> so that one was vouchers for our homeless veterans. Um, we had 30 of 30 of those. Um, what else? So, so we've had... a. You know we've really grown with our housing programs and for me that's exciting i you know we've been able to help so much and i hope you know it keeps growing um our house and counseling i expect that to be growing even more than it is now yeah uh, yeah we're, we're getting some um certified housing counselors hud certified housing counselors on staff mm-hmm. which is going to help great. a great deal with and i have um, to give a shout out to um john marcantuno who oh, yes. all the grants that cindy just mentioned um, of course, Cindy and her staff do a, a ton of amazing work, but um, you know, our other staff members who work on these grants, I mean, that is an enormously time-consuming process <laughs> to, you know, between the application and then waiting to hear back, not knowing if it'll get approved or not. So I have to give John a big shout out, and I know you've helped with them, Brian Wagner. A lot of behind-the-scenes work goes into to getting these very important funds. And it's not easy to do. I, I've written a couple of grants in my life, and they are—they're not written for uh, for the uneducated, and they're not written for someone who doesn't really enjoy doing paperwork. Uh, they, they tend to be long and technical, and yeah. they ask a lot of very specific questions. Yep. You know, you've, you talked a, a lot about the the grants that uh, Catholic Charities has received, but how do those turn into services? So some of those ones you just went through—you uh, mentioned the vouchers a couple of times for a couple of different ones. Like, what are the, what are those vouchers used for? Um, well, the vouchers that were received through SRAP, um, what they do is they were um, an indefinite voucher, housing voucher, uh, for someone. It, it helped with security deposit, uh, first month's rent, and then the veteran would be paying um, 30% of their, their rent um, based on their income, mm-hmm. 30% of their income, not their rent. Right. And um, so, you know, it makes housing affordable for them and it stabilizes, you know, their life. So it was a great, um, it, vouchers are hard to come by. Yeah. So anytime we get vouchers is exciting. Um, and but, I remember interviewing some one of your clients, Mr. Wright. <laughs> yes. And I'll, I'll never, I have to share this real quick. Sure. But he, um, um, you know, I, I was, probably badgering Cindy do you have any any stories that I can highlight and it happened that there was uh one in her recent memory and one of many people she's helped and I was lucky enough to um actually go to his new home uh and interview him and understandably a lot of these clients who've achieved success through the program some of them are embarrassed or don't really want to talk about what led them to homelessness and that's totally understandable so finding someone who was willing to chat with me you know made my day and so I I showed up at this man's house he was a veteran and he told me um, a little bit about his his backstory and he said that he um, was living in the woods for a long time and he was describing the ticks 
that he got and the mosquito bites and we chatted for a, a really long time and he was telling me about um, being in the military. And what really stood out to me was when he said, um, you know, nine years in the military, I could do that. But living in the woods like that is my real hell. And I just, I thought, oh my goodness. And he, he explained through how the vouchers worked and how, you know, how lucky he is to have a home. And he, he said, you know, Cindy helped me get this bed and I'm not used to beds yet. I'll, I'll get there, but I'm still sleeping on the floor in the meantime, cause that's all I'm used to. And then he said, um, Cindy arranged to have a refrigerator brought in and it didn't really sink in that I had a home until I watched somebody peel the plastic <laughs> off of the refrigerator, he said, and I just lost it. And he starts crying when he's telling me the story and then I'm trying to like, keep it together and then I'm crying in this man's home and we're just, he, but the the gratitude that he felt I mean it was still very surreal for him but it sounded like he's on the right track and you know he's ready to move forward and I imagine those stories of success probably help <laughs> when you do the work you do oh absolutely yeah. <laughs> seeing you know yeah. the achievements that some people are able to make and that's, you know, one of the big reasons we do these things, right? Yeah. I think, though, another story would be, like, with our HPRB2 program, it, it's really about intensive case management, you know, and and someone who comes into that program is very low income, so they would have quite a few barriers, you know, and we don't just look at the head of the household. It would be the whole family to see how we could help in that 12 months to help stabilize it, you know, pretty much whatever's going on so I love watching my case managers who um, they come to me all the time with you know stories of what's happening with their clients and what stands out to me most and I've seen it happen myself is um, you know a lot of people when they come in they think well you know I need security deposit in first months right after that yeah, I'm going to agree to anything right now because I need it. You know, I just need housing for me and my children or whoever. And they don't really buy into the program. But some of the programs have, you know, compliance. You, you have to comply or, you know, you're not going to be in the program very long. So uh, it's it's amazing to watch the confidence that they they achieve and the goals that they reach when they're in the program because they they come back and they say you know oh you know thank you for helping me thank you thank you and you know the case managers are like no you did this we gave you the you know the tools and you did it so and it, just to watch them through that and it may be you know everybody stays in the program for 12 months because they might not need it but just to watch how they grow and become successful and they're so many successes I couldn't even yeah. you know say tell you all of them but just to you know to hear this what my case managers you know they get excited about it and yeah. gets all of us excited to know that this is happening and then right. mary we have to reach out to her and then she gets excited you know yes. it's like a, <laughs> yeah so it's yeah. you know it's a it's a great thing to to watch so for the for the program like that where you say they have to be compliant um what does that usually consist of if they're able to get you know the their initial needs met for housing and they're able to move into a home what does it look like after that right so 
so obviously that's what we're you know we're looking at first and want to take care of the housing you know the housing situation and then you know after they get settled then they come back to see their case manager um there's you know goals uh and then you know action plans that that are set up based on you know whatever needs they have so for example um if someone doesn't have their ged or someone wants training or you know just basic things like obtaining food stamps or different programs uh, that are available uh, that they may be eligible for. Um, One of the responsibilities of a case manager is to make sure that they know all the resources in the area to to help that family get to where they need to be. Um, But uh, I think when they actually get training or you know they get certified for something or you know their dreams of things that they want to do and they reach those goals um, that's when you know that's when the program is for them because then guess what they're probably going to be over income but that's a good thing right now right. now their success is here and you know that and they it, it could be a lot of things employment childcare, um i don't know there may be support system issues but we also have um classes educational workshops that we provide uh, for budgeting and um uh tenant rights so they know that um, what they're some people have never rented before so they need to know you need to read your lease you need to understand it Um, if if someone the landlord puts on your your door you need to move today you don't have to because it's not legal you know those kinds of things that they're not aware of so there's it's educational stuff as well um, there's so much stuff that goes, there's so many things that go in, goes into case, intensive case management, depending on what the family's needs are. Yeah. And that's, that follow-up, I feel like it's just so, so important, you know, addressing each individual's needs and, and barriers. And that kind of boils down to Catholic Charities' mission at the end of the day, you know, provide them with their immediate needs, but follow up and, you know, show that care and compassion to ultimately get them on that path towards self-sufficiency, you know, so that they don't need us anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, anybody could just say, hey, here's a security deposit, here's money to pay your back rent, but that's not going to, you know, solve the problem and and address the issues that really need to be looked at. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious. I've known a lot of social workers in my life including our favorite, Mr. Higgy, um, <laughs> executive director here. Uh, what brought you to, to doing this? Uh, glutton for punishment? Uh, you like to be surrounded by people with sad stories? You're, you know, oh, wow. Sad, but, wow. <laughs> Come to think of it, I don't know the answer to this either. I've never yeah, asked what? Cindy before. <laughs> That's a good question. I When I first started working at the agency I worked at before this, I thought I was going to do something in computers when I found out, nah, that's not for me. And I, and they had a program there, and I started working in the program. I, I don't even remember how. And then it, this bug bit me. I, I, it, once you get bit by this bug, um, I found out that this was my passion and what I, this is what I was meant to do. So yeah. ever since then, I can't see myself doing anything else. 
also like every social worker I've ever met, they they never leave. I had a friend of mine <laughs> who was looking to become a uh, med tech somewhere, and she went like 98% of, through the program and then decided to stick with being a social worker. And it's, it's uh, you people are a special breed, I found in my life. Yeah, and a very useful one at that. That we are. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, one that uh, a job that not a lot of people can do because it does seem to require you have to be at the same time, uh, um, you know, uh, empathetic, but also distant in some ways because, you know, you can't solve every problem. And it there are certain things you can't give them answers to because you have to deal with all these grants and these grants are all very specific. I can give you this, this and this and I cannot give you this and you have to meet all these different bars. Although I know that has been lessening a little bit in the, over the last eight years probably. But um, how do you how do you deal with that? You know, sort of, you know, your limitations of what you can do sometimes. Well, I think... I don't know. I think it's just a natural thing. It's nothing I really try hard at. Mm -hmm. It just, I don't know, it comes easy to me. But I think for anyone in their passion, it would come easy to them. For example, like someone who is a nurse, something I could never do. Yeah. Sorry to you guys. If anything happens right now, I can call 911, but that's it. Right? <laughs> Respect so, that. Yeah. So it's kind of like the same thing, I think. If, you know, if it's your passion, it comes naturally and you just know how to deal and you can't be a stressor that's for sure yeah right that yeah, goes so. back to what i said at the beginning how cindy is just always calm that is true if someone came to me with a crisis and i think if they were on fire i'd catch on fire and i'd just burn the whole building down <laughs> but <laughs> wow you know i never thought about it but that really sounds about accurate that's it's a, a good, weird metaphor yes. but but it, true that's what Absolutely i picture true yes. <laughs> You are not a goat. Don't worry about it, Mary. Yeah. But that's okay because there there have to be people who are calm, and then there have to be people who get annoyed and mm -hmm. and uh, you know inflamed by things. And the, I think you you fall into the advocate uh, area. Yeah, know? I think I would struggle with the part where you know you kind of have to light on strong sometimes, and mm -hmm. oh, I feel like I just. That takes a strong person to be able to find that limit of compassion versus pushing people into doing what you know is ultimately best for them, you know, whether it be getting that GED or following up on, on this or, you know, whatever it may be. Is there any part of your job that you particularly are fond of that, uh, that is really the thing that gets you up in the morning or? keeps you from going home on time at night people the people <laughs> people yeah I love people yeah. yeah I guess that's I can't think of anything else because I like everything I do other than well who likes doing reports well, but you know I, I, <laughs> grant writers apparently but otherwise yeah I don't like grant writing yeah. either but yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I can. I absolutely can see that. I mean, uh, yeah, you have to be a people person to be a, a social worker. I, I have to assume if you weren't a big fan of people, you wouldn't be great at the at social work, Very which true. means I would not be great at social work. So, oh God, I'm don't even put that. I know what a terrible thought, isn't it? Yeah, Mike, go, <laughs> go see our social worker, Mike. <laughs> no, no, no. Beat it, pal. You know where you are there. Going the, back to something that you said though about the grants, like you know, as as tricky as it is um, finding you know, this grant or program where 
all these criteria need to be met. At the same time, though, I think what makes Catholic Charities stand out is, um, you know, if, if somebody comes in and maybe they're not eligible for this grant, it's not kind of a, okay, goodbye, we're slamming the door. They might be, you know, maybe they can benefit from, I don't know, our food pantry, for example, or maybe we can refer them to this. So what happens if somebody isn't, um, doesn't neatly fall into any program? Unfortunately, that happens. As much as we would like to help everyone who walks through the door, I feel like we kind of do. Um, Mm -hmm. All of our staff, and I can say this with good faith, all of our staff um, treat everyone who comes in with dignity and respect. And uh, even if we can't assist them with a program or, or, you know, any kind of money assistance, if they, like you said, if they're in need of food or if they're not, if they, as long as they leave feeling better than when they first came in, I, we've done what we were here to do. Sure. Um, and obviously knowing resources is a big part of that too. All of the, all of everybody in the centers have um, resources uh, throughout the community that's available. and and. And not just fake referrals, which drives me insane. Yeah. So we never give fake referrals. We make sure What's that we make a phone referral? call. A fake referral is you come into my office and I just have a list of things. And I just say, oh, oh you know, Mary, you can go here, here, and here, and here. But I have no idea because I haven't spoken to them right. in six months. And they may no longer have that program. So right. that's, yeah, that's sure. you know, that's a hardship for someone. Right. So we make sure that we reach out and make sure that that program is available, at least what the eligibility criteria is before we refer anyone. So it's not a fake. Right, right. And that's another thing you're great at is just making those connections, understanding the other agencies out there and, you know, who else you might be able to contact and I remember you were talking about we were talking about community before that is is itself a community as well the community of social workers who know kind of exactly what's going on in other uh, you know through other outlets and and things like that and what's changed and who can provide what and what opportunities are out there or see I'm also a photographer Uh, a lot and photographers all hate each other um, do, do social we really do. We really do. We don't like. We hate, uh, one photographer always hates the other photographer. Um, the um, do the social workers pretty much get along and share best practices and always looking out for each other. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, good. because we all have the you know the end goal. Our goals are the same. Yeah. For for the people. Yeah. Sure. Well, thank you very much for sitting in with us, Cindy. It took us a long time to get here, but we're really excited that you were able to sit down today. And Mary, thank you for putting this all together and making sure that you actually got Cindy into the uh, into that. I know that I feel was, bad. I was sent a lot of blowing up her emails because my phone was broken. So, thanks for being understanding when I peppered you with all these podcast requests <laughs> no problem actually it was fun and I'm, i was happy to be here oh great that's, that's what great. we love to hear yeah i love that like that. Let's end it like that more often all right listeners well thank you very much for listening and we'll be back again next week bye, bye.